And welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be talking about Scoundrels by Timothy Zahn. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Schonk. Over to you first, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We're going to spoil this old and... Fairly uninteresting, bu- uninteresting book. Um, uh, in addition to that, over the course of our conversation, we spoil anything else Star Wars. So that has been your warning. Ryan, what's the new you're bringing us? Ooh, welcome back. Uh, we had a, a full month of Star Wars news that we get to catch up on now. Uh, of course, the biggest news is in true modern Star Wars fashion, fashion, we know what the next movie is going to be released, and it's not one we'd heard about before. So yeah, we are getting John Favreau's, co-scripted by Dave Filoni's Mandalorian and Grogu. It's an awful name. I They've got to change that. It's not even a good working title. I don't know, like... Because what are they going to do? If it's going to be a movie, it's going to have to be something big, right? Are they going to just bring Gideon back since we've never seen him? And like, what made Mandalorian work, I think, was that it was smaller and it just keeps getting bigger. So I will see. Well, and one thing I thought was really surprising that also came out um, when I can't remember which it was, but one of the big independent ratings companies put out the top streamed shows of the year with the highest ratings and Mandalorian's number one. I was shocked. Really? Um, Ahsoka made it in the top 10 too, but I, you know, it just seemed like the enthusiasm for Mandalorian had kind of cooled off, but it was still the number one streaming show last year. So people didn't love it, but they still watched it. Yeah. But there also wasn't like a Stranger Things or anything big like that to compete with. Speaking of Ahsoka, also tagged into the Mando and Grogu announcement, Ahsoka Season 2 has been confirmed. Um, Dave Filoni put out a little sketch of Ahsoka and uh, Sabine standing on the Morda's hand. So maybe we're right. Like maybe that Ahsoka Season 2 is just going to be them doing whatever on Perdea and Heir to the Empire or whatever will be Hera and Thrawn and Ezra. Speaking of movies that might not be happening, <laughs> there was they had to put out a press release that Je- New Jedi Order was not on hold and that it was still coming out. Um, yeah. Now, I did find it interesting that Sean Levy has come out and apparently his movie, which is also still happening, according to him, will somehow also involve Ray. So I guess she's going to be in two movies. I mean, good for her, I guess. Um, other Disney Plus news. Uh, you know, we got our confirmation that Tales of the Jedi Season 2 will come out this year. But there is also strong rumors to almost being confirmed 
that it will be followed up by two new series. Uh, one being basically Tales of the Sith and the other one being Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Now, with those, when they were talking about it, it sounds like Tales of the Sith, if that's what it's called, will be used to show Darth Plagueis. We'll see. I mean, here's my thing. Do I want to see Darth Plagueis and Bane and all them? Yes. I'm going to need a whole lot more time than 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> to like... The tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise <laughs> deserves a lot more. Hours. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. In video game news, Outlaws has been delayed. I don't think there's much of a shot there. Um, but just to the end of the year, yeah. Just to the end of the year, they did come out with some pretty cool stuff about it. Um, apparently, Java the Hutt's going to be that's where you're going to get some of your missions. Like it's going to act as kind of, I guess, I don't know what they call them. I don't play enough open world games, but you know, where you go get your little bounty missions. Like the hub. Yeah. But and then, there's going to be like the crime syndicates also. And depending on how you interact with them, it'll change how the syndicates react to you when you see it, which I think sounds kind of cool. I was happy to hear them say, though, that they have put a lot of thought into an end game. That, like, it's not one of those games that you're never going to get to the end of the story. Like, it's doable. It's big. Like, it's huge. But, you know, they said it's not one of those things where it's going to be so overwhelming that you'll just quit and give up. Like I've done with most games like that. Yeah. I, um, my, my hesitation on that game is that Ubisoft has not done great with the Assassin's Creed games lately. And I just, they've made them so open and so big and so just overwhelming that I, I don't know that I trust that they're not going to do that to a Star Wars game. Yeah. (sighs) Here's hoping. Yeah, we'll see. Um... Other kind of cool like tidbits that came out. Um, Takashi Yamasaki, who is the director of Godzilla Minus One, um, in an interview has been talking about he wants to make a Star Wars movie. Um, he was invited to screen Godzilla Minus One at Lucasfilm, and apparently they met with him after it. And it's confirmed. And if you've not seen Godzilla Minus One, I highly recommend it. Now, in movies I don't recommend, <laughs> I think I'm the only one that's seen it. The old Rebel Moon came out. Is Rebel Moon good? No. Is Rebel Moon, though, so bad it's good? Also, no. <laughs> However, here's what I'll say. Did you see it, Chad? No, I haven't. I can't bring myself to do it. As a Star Wars fan, I recommend watching it yeah. because you can see the bones in it. You can see what he was going to do. And like you yeah, can the seven fit. samurai in space. Yeah. But you can see like the characters, like you could be like, like you can watch it and be like, that would have been a bounty hunter. That was going to be how the empire did things. Right. This one was going to be an ex clone general. Like you can see it. Like they barely mask it. I mean, the one girl nemesis, all right. Her name is freaking nemesis. That's how ridiculous this movie is. She has like basically a lightsaber and it's never explained. 
she just randomly all of a sudden her swords like light up red. She's like slamming them around. You're like, what's happening? Like, oh, it's so bad. I'll wait for the R-rated cut. Well, all right. So here's the crazy thing. So you know, Rebel Moon one because God forbid we just get one of these. Like the R-rated cut is not made to be in continuity with Rebel Moon 2. Like, apparently, things that happen in the Rebel Moon director's cut contradict or go against Rebel Moon 2. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't either. Not we, we usually don't, but a lot of people rag on Kathleen Kennedy. But clearly in this decision, she did a good job by being like, no, Zack Snyder. No. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot do that. They've already done that. By the way, they've already done the Seven Samurai in Star Wars. They've done it on Clone Wars. They've done it on The Mandalorian. Like, that structure has been used before. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it so interesting is. Or A Bug's Life is some people who have yeah. less, <laughs> less, less filmically uh, astute have described it as being a bug's life. <sighs> It feels like so familiar. You're like watching it and you're like, but I've seen this in Star Wars. Like here, like there's some like inversa like kind of in it. And I heard the entire first movie is just the putting the team together. Oh yeah. And that's the entire movie. Entire movie. Like it's just when putting I was, the team together. It's just like the, what should be 20 minutes is the entire movie. I was like trying to remember the plot of this film. And I was like thinking about it. I was like, I can't remember. Like, I remember them deciding they're going to fight back against the Empire. And then they get together. And I was like, God, what happened after that? And I looked it up. That's all that happened. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, was, and you want me to watch this? <laughs> yeah, totally watch it. Just so you can fill in. Uh, Maybe I'll skim it. I did listen to my favorite bad movie podcast covered it. I did that? So, so I listened to their episode about it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's rough. <laughs> but, uh, and the final bit of news on January 23rd, which is next Thursday, I believe. Or is that Wednesday? I don't know. Whatever day January 23rd is. Uh, we're going to get our first Hasbro Pulse fan stream of the year for Star Wars. Um, rumors are we're going to see and up for pre-order will be Kiyama Mundi and the Droid Dika which I'm super excited about. Um, yeah, Destroyer Droid will be cool. I think it looks more and more like we've been talking about. We're going to see a lot of Phantom Menace stuff this year, um, which is cool. I'm looking forward to it. So that's all our news. Chad, did the droids get the meat? Briefly. They briefly get the meat. And then they are defeated. Uh, yeah, so while we were gone, Dark Droids ended. I won't get too much into it. Uh, my feelings on here have been pretty clear. The ending didn't didn't uh, fix it for me. Uh, it was all, at the end of the day, I was left with a giant question mark and wondering wondering what the point of it all was. Um, but now that it's over, uh, some of our books are back to normal. So in addition to the Dark Droids issues... Uh, we also had uh, Star Wars 42, um, which starts an arc called The Sith and the Skywalker. Um, but the exciting thing about this arc is it's written by Charles Sewell still. It's the main book. But the exciting thing is that our friend Stephen Cummings is back on art. 
doing art for the main book. I haven't talked to him, so I don't know if this is just for an arc or if this is his new gig or what, but he's um, he's on the main Star Wars book. This is kind of a little standalone Luke story. Sewell's trying to track Luke's progress while he's also trying to track other things because they also have the trial of Lando Calrissian coming up, which is going to be something which is going to be a storyline coming up in the main book as well. Uh, so they've, they've still got plenty of water to tread, I guess, before they get to return of the Jedi Darth Vader. Number 42 came out. I still don't know where the handmaidens went. (laughs) It's just kind of, they've just kind of forgotten about it, but, uh, Vader has been approached by in this one, Vader gets approached by a cabal, uh, working in the empire led by Sly Moore to, uh, help take down the emperor. Because right now, right now, what Greg Pak is really kind of burrowing down on or bearing down on and, and, and digging into is the idea that Vader is trying to take out the Emperor. That Vader, that, that you know, when, when he proposes to Luke, we take over the galaxy together. Pak is really taking that to heart and it doesn't read right to me, but it's, it's what it is. We got Starlight Stories number four or High Republic Shadows of Starlight number four, the last one. Um, it's all about Marshawn Rowe. And um, and uh, what's her name? Staros and kind of what's happened between the fall of Starlight and phase three with from Marshawn's point of view. So something interesting with that timeline reading that book I found is how fast the star or the uh, storm wall went up. It like, went up very fast. They had it almost ready. immediately. Yeah, well, it's they like they had, had it ready. They had it ready, and I that just feels off. Like I have a problem with the Stormwall in general because it feels like technology that is so far beyond any other technology we've seen before. Yeah, that it doesn't quite fit. But um, but yeah, uh, it's all about Marshawn Rowe and his Stormwall and, and and his mask and his his lightsaber. Um, and then lastly, we have High Republic. Uh, just flat out higher public, the regular book number three. Keith Trennis gets word that there is a, a renegade Trandoshan Jedi running around in the occlusion zone. Who could that be? Oh I want. It would be awesome. It was just some random other dude. It's like Bosk's dad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Dark droids is over. We're back on. Uh, we're back on our stories, but we'll see. So here's the interesting thing in the comics. Have you seen that Soul? has announced that he's starting an all new title around April-ish. No, I haven't seen that. He has said that it's something that he's wanted to do for a long time and that fans have wanted to do a long time. What people are assuming and what's being kind of branded around the Marvel, you know, rumors is that he is writing until Star Wars 50 and then it ends that they will, the main book will stop at 50. Yeah. And that that's it. Like they'll make it to return of the Jedi at 50 and then soul will start something else. Well, we talked about finally that. be it. The yeah. long period between empire and Jedi will finally happen. Finally, finally end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be my vote would be to just end the main book and find something else to do. And unless Steve is on the main book for good, then they should keep doing it. Or he can go to the new book. That's true. He can just go to the new book. Which I'm telling you, I'm going to bet money is between Phantom Menace and Clone Wars. And Clone Wars. Maybe. Maybe. So, But that's it for comics. Dark Droids is over. We're moving on. Beth, tell us a little bit about your interview with Timothy Zahn. Well, people who have listened to the show before will know that I have already publicly apologized to Timothy Zahn 
about my perceptions of Admiral Thrawn from the new books versus the Legends books. And I said right before DragonCon that if I had the chance to interview him, I would apologize to him in person. And so thanks DragonCon media team for giving me the chance to apologize in person. He was very gracious about it. He didn't rub it in. (laughs) And it was really cool to revisit talking to him since he was the first person I ever interviewed, ever, and was very nice at the time. But I think the book that we're about to talk about was the last thing that he'd written at that time for Star Wars. So obviously, since 2014, he has written quite a bit more. I had not read Scoundrels at the time I first interviewed him or at the time I interviewed him for the second time, but we did get a lot of Thrawn talk and it's about a 20 minute interview because this was another one that was a group interview. So you'll hear me, you'll hear Timothy Zahn, you'll also hear Hope Mullinax from the Geeky Waffle and they are also on YouTube and Twitter. So look them up if you want to hear more of them. But um, yeah, it was really just nice to get to talk to him again and, and revisit some of the topics we had discussed previously. Yeah, I can read one. Oh, look oh, at that cool awesome chess pen. Uh, I collect pens. So. Yes. Uh, oh. A woman showed me one like this. She'd gotten an Etsy and she went back and the, the, the seller wasn't there and wasn't doing it. She tracked down another one and sent it to me. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, very nice. The blue porg that you have at your table, my friend made for you, actually. <laughs> so she was very excited to see My that. wife is a porg fanatic. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> she got them before the movie came out on the assumption, well, at least there's something I like in this movie. I don't know if I'll like anything else, but I'll like the porgs. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, if it's all right, the first thing I wanted to ask you sure. is, how excited are you for Thrawn to be coming into live action? Very excited, uh, especially when it's under... Dave Filoni's tutelage, he's shown back in Rebels, he understands Thrawn, understands how to write for him, understands how you defeat him. Um, You you give him something he can't control or something he doesn't know. Um, I would always be nervous about whether the writers bringing him in would understand him enough to write properly. Filoni seems to have got it okay. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's doing. I know a little bit of some of the new characters, some of the new dynamic. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how he works all of that in together. No spoilers. (laughs) I don't know enough, and I certainly can't talk about the stuff I do know. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, So, speaking of the show, uh, the rumor is that once... Thrawn and and this Ahsoka arc is finished that you're going to be able to go back and kind of fill in the blanks on where Thrawn was with Ezra? Uh, I would like to do that. That's that's the It's a big nine-year gap that I am just aching to write novels in. Uh, so far, I've not been approached. So far, uh, not been offered that. Um, and I don't know how much... Dave wants to fill in of that on his own. On the other hand, no matter how tightly he fills in that nine years, I know I can find good stories to tell in that. So whether he's got just vague ideas, whether he's got a month-by-month sort of thing, 
I will still be able to do good stories in it once they let me do that. But yeah, I, I am just champing at the bit to get that get to <laughs> that someday. Yeah, you've been champing for a while because pre-pandemic Dragon Con, you were talking about wanting to tell yeah. that story. Yeah. So, um, to, to, to I want to workplace comedy with villains, <laughs> and okay. I'm not sure if you meant to write a comedy, but it's my favorite Thrawn book. It's my favorite Star Wars book, and I just adore how you kind of just let the villains just kind of go on an absurd side adventure where bugs stick to Vader and he gets stuck to the floor and Thrawn and Anakin are trying to alpha male each other. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always tricky when you've got... How do you make something that you can that the villain can't defeat, especially when it's somebody like Vader? Okay, he's got the Force. He's got a lightsaber. What can you do that he can't anticipate and will have trouble with. And that was the attack bugs that splatter into a quick-drying, cement-like, rock-like thing. You just encase your opponent in that. Too many for you to push all of them away with the force. Lightsaber won't do any good against a swarm of something. So that was a, okay, how do I come up with something that can stop even Vader? And then later in the book, how do I get Vader to counteract that? So that is, that's always the challenge with a, a strong villain, find something that will fight, that he has to rise to the challenge. And that was my answer to that. It, it does sort of sound comedic, but if you were the one being turned into a, you know, a statue, it wouldn't be as funny. Oh yeah, but there are certain scenes in that, like with Keemond and Rook, that are mm. almost straight from Monty Python, and I wasn't <laughs> sure if that was intentional. It was not intentional, but it was more of a... Keemond, for those who haven't read it, is the head of um, Vader's security, first, first Legion uh, security detail in this book. And he takes his position, his job, very seriously, and part of that is protect Vader, or that's to protect Vader, to do what Vader wants uh, his, the stormtroopers to do. And Rook, whose job is to protect Thrawn and his interests, they butt heads periodically and have this, okay, I can sneak aboard your ship, no, I'm not going to let you sneak aboard our ship. It was not intended to be comedic, but there are certain comedic aspects that just naturally come about. Oh, yeah. And since they are both very good warriors, they wind up working together when when push comes to shove. Uh, but yeah, no, it's there. There are humorous aspects to it, and there, then there's Commodore Farrow, who's kind of in charge of this circus, who is having to walk the line between my commander is my admiral is Thrawn. However, you don't say no to Vader without a good reason. And I've got politics dealing with some of the officers on my ship because they're well-connected and having to... And also, I'm supposed to fly this ship and bring it into combat when necessary. So uh, it, it's, it's a mix. There's a lot of dynamic to it. There, there is humor with it because Star Wars, part of the Star Wars mix is humor. Uh, adventure, loyalty, sacrifice, friendship, but also there's humor in it. And... Uh, that's the mix I came up with. And that's probably like what I enjoy most about it is because I I think a lot of people are afraid to make the villains funny mm -hmm. and that's what I really loved about that story and I might be the only Commander Keeman fangirl in the world <laughs> but <laughs> um. Anybody, it, it's fine to be funny as long as when it's time to do your job you're really good at it mm -hmm. and he is. Oh yeah. 
Uh, the last time I spoke with you was 2014, and at the time, you either didn't know or weren't allowed to say about anything about doing any more Star Wars books. Yeah. Um, obviously, since you have gone on to write several yes. more, um, and Ascendancy was excellent. Well, thank you. Not that the others weren't, but Ascendancy was mwah, fav thank you. favorite book of last year. Um, but at the time, your, your work was being written out of the canon. Mm -hmm. To your yes. knowledge, that you weren't going to get it brought back, but now yeah. we're seeing all of that brought back. Um, mm -hmm. We, on our podcast, recently read Outbound Flight yes. and discussed it. And looking at Outbound Flight, it, it looked to me like, oh, Cardus, he's he's like a proto Eli Vanto. So mm -hmm. was was that part of your thinking going back to bringing in a new Thrawn series, going back to bring in some things from Outbound Flight? That was, yes, I wanted to bring, in the Ascendancy trilogy, there is, we were obviously focusing on the Chiss, but I wanted, we had done the memories part in the first two, and for the third one, I wanted Thras, uh, Thrawn's sort of, at this point, adoptive sort of brother, to be the point of view character for all that. And uh, I pitched it to the editor, and he was, okay, okay, let's go ahead and try that. When he read the first memories with Thross, he wrote back and said, yes, this is perfect. This is exactly the person should be the, the POV for that. So it's interesting. Outbound Flight is still a legend book, but the Chiss sections are canon because they're in Ascendancy, which is canon. So uh, it, it becomes a, a strange hybrid. I mean, the, some of the elements of the Thrawn trilogy possibly will become canon depending on what Filoni does with Ahsoka. Uh, so we, I've got some of these foot over the, the over the line thing. But just to mention, remember that legends are the stories of King Arthur and Robin Hood and, and Paul Bunyan. Uh, they're the stories you tell around the campfire. And just because those stories, those books are now legends, doesn't mean they're still not enjoyable. People no. enjoy it, like reading them. They're good stories, and uh, you know, d people went into a big panic when that was first announced. But no, don't panic. The, no. the books are still good. You still enjoy them. You tell them around the campfire while you're eating your s'mores, and uh, it, this is all good. We always call it. It's all from a certain point of view. Yes. <laughs> yes. Was it exciting to bring Thrust back into the canon? I'm sorry. Was it exciting to bring Thrust back to the yeah, band? Yeah, it was. Uh, he had. A lot of people had liked him in Outbound Flight, but we didn't. I mean, that's not the focus of the books. We didn't get a lot of that. We did not get a lot of his interaction with Thrawn. Being able to build all that in uh, into the memory section of uh, Lesser Evil was very satisfying. It was it, to the point where the last scene, which has to echo the ending of Outbound Flight was a wrench to write, and people people told me, I hoped it would be different. No, it can't be. This is the way it works. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was uh, enjoyable to bring him back and build that, that relationship. Mm -hmm. now, speaking of the rest of the Chiss, uh, are there plans to do any more just ascendancy books? Uh, we would love to see some Aralani books. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. and Luthrell. At the moment, we're having trouble getting Story Group, my editor, and me into the same time slots where we can discuss new books. Uh, obviously, Story Group is up to their eyeballs in other vetting material and everything. 
and uh, the editor is working a lot with the uh, High Republic stuff for for Star Wars, and I've got other projects and conventions and things. But one, yeah, definitely, I'd like to do more Chiss. Uh, one of my thoughts was be, until. I can write more of Thrawn in that nine-year gap, do what I call, what I, I pitch as the Donut Thrawn book, a Thrawn book with no Thrawn in it, which would be Arlani, Eli Vanto, probably Commodore Pharaoh, uh, possibly going out into the unknown regions, and the, the hook on that one was they run into the navy of Snoke and destroy it which is why in the sequels he has to go to the First Order and recruit them. We've already destroyed his, his planned attack force. Uh, so far I have not gotten traction on that, but uh, when I get a chance to pitch things, I will hopefully be able to pitch that one along with others. Excellent. Um, so you've really written a lot around the Imperial era, and mm -hmm. as you were mentioning the High Republic, yeah. um, is there another era you would love to work in? Maybe not like with a Thrawn character, but in general, like the High Republic or the sequel era or um, the Old Republic? Um, there are, I mean, you say, give you, you, you tell me an era and I could probably write a good, a fun story in it. Um, nothing is, better or worse, I don't think. I like the classic era, which is the Imperial era, but I could do, go back and do uh, Sith-Jedi, uh, uh, the, the Sith-Jedi conflicts and such in the, in the Old Republic and that era. Um, one of the thoughts I would also like to pitch is in the Ascendancy trilogy, we talk about the Star Flash, Sky Flash, whatever the weapon is, that one-use weapon. And the story of how they got uh, how they got it, and that that battle where the the uh, the Chiss patriarch lost her two her two or three sons. Uh, again, lots of lots of Chiss stuff, lots of um, long history of Star Wars in the galaxy that could have stories written about them. So, uh, when they offer me one, or when we get to talk, I will pitch them my ideas. They can tell me what they would like me to do, and we will find something I can do <laughs> and enjoy. All right. Um, did you have any last questions? Uh, I just wanted to personally apologize. I've, I apologize publicly on our podcast <laughs> because I was one of the people who, when I first read the new Thrawn books, said, this doesn't feel like the same Thrawn. But then after going back and rereading all of the original Heir to the Empire trilogy and Outbound Flight, 100% should have kept my mouth shut. So all of those people who say that are wrong, and I apologize for being one of them for a minute. The key is that Thrawn's sole purpose in life, as he sees this, is the defense of the Chiss ascendancy and his people. Every decision, everything he does, harkens back to that motivation. He saw that in, in the original trilogy, he is trying to bring back the Empire because he saw the chaos of the Clone Wars, expects the New Republic to go the same way, he needs a stable, functional military here if he's going to be able to use it to defend the Chiss against the Grisks or whoever else might be out there gunning for them. Uh, so everything flows from that decision. And when you think about that, it's consistent in all of the books. That is his underlying goal. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> apology, apology accepted, Captain thank Lita. You. <laughs> well, I believe we are out of time, so thank you so much, Timothy. No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. You have a good con. <laughs> thank you. All right. I assume there's another time slot because I got time. <laughs> okay. Another people coming in. Would it be all right if I have a quick selfie with you? <coughs> sure. Or we can do an othery. Or we can take that picture. Ugh. Othery is when someone else takes it, not a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> it's Star Wars Ocean's Eleven. Sounds great, right? Well... Scoundrels takes place in zero ABY shortly after the Battle of Yavin, a decision that baffles me, but we'll get to that. Han Solo has received his reward from the Alliance, but his payment has been stolen by a pirate, leaving him heavily in debt to Jabba with no means to pay him back. Han responds to a job request on the planet Wukar, where he meets a guy named Ianger. A lot of bad names in this book. Ianger explains that a local crime lord with the innocent-sounding name of Villacor murdered Eanger's family and stole over 163 million credits from his family. Eanger hires Han to assemble a team of con artists and thieves to break into Villacor's heavily protected vault and steal the money back for an even split. Now, if you know stories like this, you know it's time to put together a team. We get Rochelle, the fixer, Bink, a thief, and her twin sister Tavia, the electronics expert, Zerba, a magician and sleight-of-hand artist, Dozer, a shipjacker, Kel, explosives and droid expert, kinda, and Winter, a woman with a perfect memory. Finally, due to a miscommunication, Lando Calrissian also arrives as the group's frontman, despite him and Han having recently fallen out. Once they settle in and begin surveillance, they figure out that Villacor works for Black Sun and reports to a fouling Vigo named Quisadi. They break into the gangster's hotel room and find a cryodex, an ancient Alderanian encryption device that is unhackable and irreplaceable. They figure out that the, that the cryodex is used to decrypt Black Sun's so-called blackmail files, the data they use to run the galaxy. The files are also hidden in Villacor's vault, along with the Anger's money. Over the next week, the team makes preparations in cases the estate while Villacor hosts the Festival of Four Honorings, a grand affair which is open to the public. As part of the plan, Bink attaches herself to Villacor's chief of security Dozer attempts to bribe several of Villacor's staff, and Lando introduces himself to Villacor, offering to help the man defect to a mysterious rival organization. Lando offers up that his people have been working on a have Lando offers up that his people have a working MacGuffin box. I'm cryodex. Uh, Lando agrees to come back at a later date with the cryodex proof. Meanwhile, Villacor starts to become very paranoid that Lando and all the other mysterious events caused by Han's team is really Black Sun attempting to test his loyalty. The day of the heist comes. Han approaches Villacor with a data card that was supposed to have the time. It you know what? I don't care. You don't care. Listen, you listening to this, you don't care because I didn't care. And Beth and Ryan don't care. And we read the damn thing. The heist has its ups and downs. Han gets captured and uncaptured. There's a lot of talk about cryodexes. The plan goes wrong. Then it goes right. There's a big rolling safe and a scene that is a lot like a scene out of Fast and Furious 5, but, you know, slower. There are gizmos and gadgets. None of the quote-unquote good guys die. Villacor ends up running off to join the Empire. I haven't even bothered to mention the Imperial agent who's been hanging around the whole time because I really didn't care. I've decided I'm not going to get into all of it because, well, it's exhausting and at the same time not all that interesting. So I'm going to skip ahead to the aftermath of the heist. After they get to the blackmail files and the credit chips, 
after the Black Sun Vigo is dead at the hands of Eanger and the team has gotten out unscathed. Okay, good, great. After the job, Eanger hurries to the landing bay where the Millennium Falcon was parked to meet up with the team and spring an ambush on Han and Chewie. He realizes too late that what he thought was the Falcon was actually a decoy set up by Dozer. Han's team had learned that the real Eanger had been killed six weeks ago, long before hiring Han, that the whole deal had been some kind of setup. Without the real Eanger to unlock the credit tabs, the real money is inaccessible, and the team has to settle for 80,000 credits each instead of the promised 14.8 million. Han offers to exchange his share for the blackmail files that he intends on turning over to the Alliance. And Han, oh, and Han also manages to screw over Lando one more time, setting up their meeting in Empire Strikes Back, I guess. And at the end of the book, it turns out that fake Eanger was actually Boba Fett the entire time. Because fuck this book. Boo! I'm not a Boba Fett hater, but boo, that was such a terrible tag. I even if I weren't a Boba Fett hater, boo. Yeah. Yeah, let's just talk about that first, otherwise it's gonna hang over all of it, right? Yeah. Like all right. Having the twist at the end, I I think is okay. Because it is kind of like the beginning is awful convenient that Han just happens to meet somebody. Right. Who has this plan. And like, so it starts getting to the end and you start kind of realizing like, Oh, that's not who it is. And so immediately I was like, Oh, surely not. Oh, Did that not. didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. Oh no. no. Because the minute that I knew it was somebody, it wasn't him. I was like, Oh God, it's going to be Boba Fett. Like, because who else can it be? And then I like tried to think through, I was like, and I like stopped reading and I was like, all right, who realistically would this be? And I was like, oh God, it is Will Fett. And yes, it was. I mean, it obviously occurred to me he wasn't who he said he was, but never did it being Boba Fett cross my mind. And so I was set up for the extra big boo at the end when I had no clue who this was supposed to be. And oh God, it's Boba Fett. <laughs> It was just, and the whole idea was that that Bo- Boba had just he he had a bounty out on this Black Sun guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and he set up this whole thing to. Yeah, and then at the end, I guess he was going to go get the bounty on Han too. Yeah, yeah. On Han and Chewie, that was that was the ta- he was going to use Han for his own means, and then once he and then once he got what he wanted out of Han, then he was going to bust Han. Seems very unboba fed. It really does. It's it's awfully cunning. Yeah, and he doesn't really. He's I mean, a brute. He, he's a brute force dude. It, it's it's very. It, it was very frustrating. <laughs> it's a very frustrating way to end the book. I was trying to think of like other people. I was like, who would have made me feel better? And the only name I could come up with was Dash Rindar. <laughs> I was like, if it had been Dash Rindar, I'd been like, all right, like that's cool. Like bring Dash back in. The Falling are around, so he's got some history there. Kind of ties into some of the Shadows of the Empire characters. Kind of. I don't know. I just... Yeah. I'll say off the bat, I wasn't a fan. It's literally him trying to do Ocean's Eleven. As you said before, Beth, before we started. It's not... It's not an homage. (laughs) It's not... No. It's not inspired by. It is trying to do an Ocean's Eleven. No, when I spoke to him in 2000, whatever it was, 14, 13, he said it was Ocean's Eleven, but Star Wars. And I just assumed that meant 
his take, not literally, I'm going to take every bit of Ocean's Eleven and just set it in Star Wars. I just didn't take him at his word, but I should have. So I didn't even think to do this till right now, and I just counted on the dramatis personae. And yeah, there's there's 11 of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's literally 11 of them. Yeah. And it's, you know, but what it's, what it's missing, though, is like what Ocean's Eleven, both Ocean's Elevens, both the original and the remake, what they're both counting on is the star power of their characters, right? The, the stories themselves aren't all that interesting in either of those movies. It's about watching big stars interact with each other in this kind of fun way. That's what makes Ocean Eleven fun is watching Brad Pitt and George Clooney and Matt Damon I'll just have a good time in Vegas. You need a, in order to, in order to pull this off. First of all, he needed a very, very likable, distinct cast of characters that formed the team. And and I, I didn't I didn't get attached to any of them. Did you guys? What did you guys think of the team? Well, I couldn't keep Dozer, Kel, and there was one other dude. Uh, some of the dudes I could not keep straight. Like, obviously, we know who Winter is. Yeah. Um, but, but he created Winter, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. He did, right? Yeah. She was first in Heir to the Empire? Yeah. Um, but the the dudes, I just kept getting them all mixed up. Like, wait, who is this guy again? And that's one of the things that... One of the reasons I love Timothy's on is he puts that dramatist persona in, in the beginning so that I can just flip back at any time and go, who's this guy again? Because right. I couldn't keep him straight. And Anger, Anger, whoever he, whatever his name Boba is. Boba Fett. Anger, Boba Fett. Fett. Yeah, Anger. Stupid Boba Fett. Um, keeping all of these guys straight who didn't have exciting or distinct personalities or backstories. I mean, everybody had a little bit of a backstory, but none of them were that interesting. I mean, I was happy to see Winter because I liked the character of Winter and you know, it, it's nice seeing her in. I was more interested. I like when they first introduced Zerba. Like that's something I'd want to read about. Like a crappy magician con man in the Star Wars universe. Like right. that sounds great to me. And then he is probably in it the very least. And it doesn't do any awesome crappy magic. I was like, no. at the end, is he going to do some like? Sweet- it's just a pickpocket. <laughs> Yeah, like sleight of hand, but no. I kind of pictured him as Kumail uh, from the Obi Wan show. Uh, see, I pictured him as uh, the um, where's there's the guy in Honor Among Thieves in Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. There's the um, uh, God the Sorcerer. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. guy. So he kind of looks. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very well. He looks kind of like Star Lord. Uh, there you go. That's Oof. him. It looks That's, like Jake Busey. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I, I overall, look, it was it was a fine read. Like, it wasn't anything great. I had a hard time getting through it. I, I thought like, it got, I thought it, yeah, I thought it got really convoluted, but not in an interesting, exciting way. It was just like piling stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff. Plans on plans on plans. 
Right. And, and I could never tell, like, you know, I mean, part of the fun in, in an Ocean's Eleven story and a heist story is is figuring out how the plan is going to work and the machinations of the plan. And sometimes some, you know, there's a couple of ways to do it. Right. And some some high stories, they t- they lay the whole plan out ahead of you um, and, and the fun is watching it unfold. And then the other the other end is they withhold the plan from you and you watch it happen at the end and mm-hmm. you find your entertainment out of that. Right. That's kind of the ocean's 11 thing is like they, they hint at what the plan is going to be, but the real plan, you, you find out what the real plan is at the end. This kind of had a little bit of that with them rolling out the safe. Cause that wasn't mentioned before that. Yeah. That's how they were going to get to the safe was to basically have it to blow it out and have it like roll into the street. I didn't, I don't know why any of the security guards didn't just chase him because it was rolling very slowly. Um, that whole scene made no sense to me. We did get more Faline than we had in anything other than Shadows of the Empire. I liked I want more Faline. I like this quote uh, from early on in the book. We Faline have a certain way with females. Yeah. Still skeevy. Uh-huh. Still, still skeevy. I mean, they, but although that was a plot point in the book, right? Is they didn't want the oh, women yeah. to, be, to be left alone with the Faline. Mm-hmm. Because of their because of their powers over them. Yeah, the first time I saw Skizor's name come up, I was just like, "Oh no, I didn't know I signed up for this." I'd have liked it better if Skizor was in it. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I. I mean, what's the difference though? I mean, between Skizor and this guy, other than Skizor's the big boss. Right. Right. That's but, it. You can't yeah. kill Skizor. At this point. Uh, yeah, I, I agree about like, they just kept putting plans on plans. Like there was this whole, especially with like the Imperial intelligence, the ISB guys. Yeah. So with, like, there was this thing in the beginning where they kept talking about how Deja and what's his name? The Zayrol. Dishul. Dishul. As Dishul, yeah. Like how Deja was supposed to be like his servant. And like, there's a weird conversation, like, maybe I should beat you. And that's how they do. And I was like, what, what is happening? And then yeah. that never comes up again. They just have a weird conversation about he might beat him like in character. And then they don't talk about it. And there's no reason for Desho, whatever his name is to even be there. Like there's no reason for either of them to be there. They really have no bearing on the book whatsoever. Yeah. It's a just it's just another unnecessary complication that when I was trying to write the summary that I eventually gave up on that I was trying to write the summary and I was like, oh, I forgot Deja. And then I was like, no, that's because I forgot Deja. Because <laughs> Deja didn't really do anything for me. Like like there was a little bit of Deja. Deja had, was was dealing with the Anger and feeding the Anger information. And I was like, I don't care and then they're trying to frame and i got real sick of hearing the word cryodex and like and it was such a such a like such a mcguffany mcguffin of like oh well they were built on alderaan and so there's only like six in existence and this is what they use to decode their file and what the blackmail files were was very vague as to what that would actually mean so this this book had multiple mcguffins at the same time, right? Multiple things that people were chasing that were just gobbledygook. You know, the blackmail files, the cryodex. The, the credit tabs. and The credit tabs that, that aren't really credits because you need someone there to unlock them. And so, okay, so here's my question on that, too. I thought about later. 
are there actually credits? Because if it's Boba Fett and there was never a shipping company to get destroyed, right? Why are there actual credits? Well, I, I think I think there was. I think there, that really yeah. did happen. Yeah, that's what I took away. Is Boba that it, it was a real jumped, thing? It was a real thing. Boba Fett just jumped on it. Yeah. It's not explained. I had missed that he, his face was like bandaged up the whole book. I had missed that. Yeah, he's got like so, half a robot thing on his face. Yeah, yeah. some weird freaky robot eye. Yeah. And at this yeah. point, we're still mysterious Boba Fett. I mean, 2013. Yeah, we know he was a clone, though. Yeah, but would Han, would Han or Lando recognize a clone? Oh, would Han and them know that? No. Yeah, would they, no. Would they recognize a clone? No, no, probably not. Yeah. At least as far as we know. Like, there's a line that I, I highlighted. It just kind of spoke to me the whole book, which was Deja broke open his fake holo camera and extracted the knife and small but powerful electro binoculars tucked away inside. Like, it was so obsessed with gadgets and gizmos. And it was always trying to be like, like, there, it, it's, it's Ocean's Eleven. There's also a lot of Mission Impossible. There's the weird scene where Chewie like swings between trees to like get to a hotel, and I was like, "This is ridiculous!" <laughs> like that part, I was like, "All right." <laughs> like it, it just it just felt that it was like a little too. It, it was it was just really obsessed with being very cute, and like they had it. There was a technology for everything. And there was a gadget for everything and they had, and they could just build it. It's one of those things where like, if someone's an electronics expert, they can literally build anything. Winter. I like winter. She didn't serve much of a point. No, but she's like memorized stuff. How, yeah. but she memorized how would she stuff. not know Leia is alive or dead? That I felt was a little pushing it. Yeah. That bothered me. Well, the whole timeline bothered me. Why does this take place after a new hope? Why did, why not have this take place before? I think this is how they wanted to introduce Han to Winter and to have right. that scene where Winter finds out he's alive. Like, I think that's the only reason he did it that way. I just felt like it was just very strange to me to find Cause I was like, you know, one is, is him losing what was Han losing his reward money already canon at that point? Should have been like, how did that happen? 13. Well, but, I'm, but what, what I'm saying is like, did we already know that story or is this, is this the first time we're learning that he lost his reward money? I don't remember. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. I guess that he doesn't have it because he doesn't end up paying Jabba off for, you know, and he, he ends up living with the rebels. And, and so, cause, cause part of this book is yeah to set up winter, him meeting winter and all that stuff. It's also to set up the Han and Lando moment of him saying you have a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. This is what he pulled. Which, Which doesn't make sense because no. the whole like Han Lando dynamic in this book is to finally like Han screwed him over on a previous job. And then it comes out that, yeah, like I screwed you over to protect you. Yeah. So as soon as Lando gets boarded and realizes he doesn't have the money and gets let go, he should be like, oh, Thanks, buddy. taking care of me again. Like, yeah, that's just what he does. <laughs> but it feels like it's setting it up for that moment later. It, it seems right. like it. But it seems like the, the book also references their history. It seems like he's got enough 
reasons to not want to see Han again. Yeah. For them to have to create one. Yeah. It just it just felt it just felt weird to kind of wedge a Lando story into this time part of the timeline too. For him to see Lando at this part of the timeline felt out of place to me. Well, it doesn't make sense that when they go to Vesman and Chewbacca and then Chewbacca is the one that talks to Han about like, Oh, I'm sure he's forgiven me by now. Yeah. Like you were there. Like, you know exactly what happened. Yeah. So so that, that feels a little weird, but yeah, I think, I guess it's trying to set up that moment. Um, It's trying to introduce, you know, it's giving us a little bit of winter's origin story. Uh, through the book, which is him, you know, servicing his own characters, which is fine. I just, I just didn't find myself. I, I didn't, I didn't find, you know, I, I respect Timothy Zahn. I love, um, you know, I think the ascendancy trilogy is like some of the best star Wars of the last 10 years. But with this, it's just like the witty banter. Isn't really his strong suit. Mm-hmm. I don't think. You know, and the like the, the the characters and the witty banter that you need to sustain because there's not a lot of action in this book. There's a lot of talking. There's an awful lot of talking because it's about planning and conning and and negotiating and all this stuff. There's just a lot of talking. There's not a whole lot of action. And there's no space combat, which is of course what Zon excels at. And I just, I just feel like maybe, you know, I mean, you know, and it's fine. I just, I guess to me, it feels like he took a swing at something and, and, and maybe it wasn't quite in his wheelhouse. So I want to look up. Okay. So 2013. So this is, I mean, this is real close, right? To when the sale happens. So 2013, you've got scoundrels. The Last Jedi, Dawn of the Jedi, Crucible, Kenobi, and Razor's Edge. Besides Kenobi, I mean, I know people doubt or got upset when they undid the EU. Oh, it was running out of steam. But this is what we yeah. were getting, folks. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah, no, I, I don't, I, you know, I was upset. When they jettisoned the EU, I was upset because, well, one, because I have so much useless information in my head that was already useless and, and somehow they managed to make less useless or more useless. Yes, less useful, um, which I never thought it could be, but they did. But you're right, you know, but the the last big books, uh, the um, the Legacy of the Four series and then the 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 series involving Luke and Ben and the, was it Abeloth or whatever mm-hmm. and all that stuff, that stuff was getting into real weird territory and, 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 and it wasn't, it wasn't at its strongest for sure. I just, I, I, I it's, he's, he's hewing too close to us. He's, he's, he's hewing very, very close to a very familiar structure, but I felt like it got muddled a lot in the middle and I, I couldn't, I can't really tell you what the con was. Can you, can you, can you tell me in like two sentences, like what the con was, like what, what they were doing? I mean, I guess the con is they were pretending to offer to take him to a different organization to right. steal the stuff. Like, unless you use a lot of commas and sentence fragments and, and other random punctuation, I cannot do it in two sentences. 
It would require yeah. like 30 commas and a couple <laughs> semicolons and it just doesn't, I just, I just can't. And when it gets to the end and it's like, we did it, we got every, you know, we, we, we got all the stuff that we're supposed to get. And I was like, but what, what did you did? Yeah. But what, but what did you did? That's exactly <laughs> true. What did you did? Do you think we would have kept getting like, say Disney sale doesn't happen. Like would we have started to get more and more of stuff like this, like with death troopers and this and like, where they're just like, all right, we're just going to start writing like the genre filled in with Star Wars characters. Uh, no, I think I think I think Zon probably came to them with this. You know, this probably wasn't like a dictate. This was probably he came to them and he was like, I've got a great idea. Ocean's Eleven and Star Wars, you know, and they were like, great, go write it. Do you think, you though, know? that they would have given him any kind of guidelines like, hey, can you bring skis or back? No, I, I don't. I don't think they were in any any hurry to bring Skizor back by then. Skizor was already a fairly controversial figure by the time this book comes around. You know what this book needs? Women being victimized. Yes. <laughs> Look, we were getting close. Like when yeah. Bink and Tavia are like on the couch, and he's just sitting there. I was like, oh, yeah, God. yeah. I- no, there's that moment where Bink and Tavia are are like basically zonked out on his couch from pheromones. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. Then I had, I had to remind myself, this is Timothy Zahn. He is very chaste. He is a chaste writer, you know. He's a nice. Dealing, he's a nice man. <laughs> we're not dealing with any of these newfangled old republic or newfangled high republic writers that'll just throw sex in your face. Uh, That's not Timothy Zahn's way. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else this book stood out. Oh, I did. I did think the impotent lightsaber was funny every time they got it out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just kept getting shorter, and everybody <laughs> like, "Oh, that's it." It is funny. He hires the guy just because he's got a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and not a very good one. <laughs> that might be decent for cutting into a couple of things. It's, it's like the um. The cheese slicer of lightsabers. It's like, keep that for your cheese plate, your charcuterie board. I noticed, and and it was a throwaway line, but it bothered me that uh, he was talking about people being destroyed by greed. And George Cardus was one of the people he mentions having been destroyed by greed. And I went, wait a minute. I don't know that story. What happened to George Cardus from Outbound Flight? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Wait, what happened to him? Why don't we know this story? Because I did like that character a lot. And and if something bad happened to him, that could be an interesting story. Why aren't I reading that instead? I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I would have rather seen a follow-up to Outbound Flight versus this Listen, he wanted to try something different, you know, he wanted to try something different. All, all, you know, I, I, my guess is like, you know, he's like, I can do things other than Thrawn, you know, because he's got this and what choices of one or his two like non Thrawn books, basically. I guess Survivor's Quest isn't a Thrawn book either. But as far as like just kind of standalone things like, I mean, and, th- and this was the last book he wrote before canon turned over right 
So he was still, which is impressive that he was still writing EU books all the way up to 2013. Like thinking about that he wrote the first one and that he was still working in Star Wars by, by 2013. And I honestly, I would kind of checked out at that point. Like I wasn't regularly reading. I wasn't reading everything. I wasn't reading everything. Like I haven't read Razor's Edge either. Which came out around the same year, but I read Kenobi when it came, you know, which is around the same time. So, like, I was reading some stuff, but I was being a little more picky. Um, I was still reading the big event books. I read all of those. See, I'd really stopped reading a bunch of the big event books by then. I was just. Yeah, I was reading those. Well, because they kept teasing that they were going to, like, kill somebody off or they were finally going to, like, end the story somehow or something. And they never they never got the courage to to do it. They never they never other than Chewie. They killed off, you know, a decade before that. But besides Chewie, like they never, they always kept teasing, like this would be, you know, they'd finally going to kill off Luke or they were going to finally going to kill off Han or something. They never did. They, they were always afraid to. But I kept reading because I liked Ben Skywalker. I thought they did a good job with Ben Skywalker and I liked Gina Solo and their characters that I cared about. So I kept reading. But this book definitely feels like it's from that other time. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of books that we've read that I'm like, wait, this is Legends? This this doesn't seem like EU. This seems new. It seems current. It, this definitely feels not old, but old school when everything was much, much more permissible. And, and really, you could just kind of do whatever you wanted. There was no story group. You only had, you know, Lucasfilm or LucasArts telling you yes or no. And don't get me wrong, it, the writing in it is fine. Like, it's not a badly written book. No, no. It's just, like, it's just messy. Man. To me, to me, it felt messy. Like, it, it felt like not, I don't even know if I'd agree that it's a well-written book in the sense that it's, it didn't feel very well put together. Like, I'm sure he had his board up with his string and his, and his index cards and everything, and he was doing all the planning and figuring out all the connections and, and everything. Oh, I'm, we, now I'm picturing uh, Timothy's on his uh, Charlie day doing peppy Sylvia. Right. Exactly. I, I, I'm sure he did all that work to do it, but uh, to me personally reading the book, it didn't come across and it came across as being sloppy and it came across as like, Oh, there's just two or three, too many levels of complexity in this book. Um, for that's safe. Time. That safe was way too complex. <laughs> like yeah. it was like I had a hard time keeping up with like okay, so it's in a room. Yes, that's guarded by both droids and humans who look like droids, yes. who smell your cologne to get in, and mm-hmm. then you go in, and there's a floating whatever stage, I guess, that randomly just floats around the room. Yes. And on top of that is a big ball made of some magic material that you stick your finger in. And I don't know how big that is because it's got a hallway and you go in and then there's another door. <laughs> and I was like, good, like, yeah, this well, is that's just, what I meant. It's, this is it's, too just, much. <laughs> it's yeah. overly complicated and, it, and it's, it's, uh, and it's obsessed with gizmos. It's obsessed with these ideas of like, you know, like, you know, how, how impossible, you know, and, and Mission Impossible does this too. And it's just as silly when Mission Impossible does it. 
um, when when they describe they describe the security at a at a, at a location. And you're like, there is no possible way that that all of those things are in this are, are guarding this one safe. Well, here's what's so silly is the safe is that complex, but the key to getting the door is just around the dude's neck. <laughs> like you've got like this complex security and he just wears like a latchkey kid. <laughs> no, I mean, I, listen, I'm, I'm probably a little harsher on it than I should be. I just felt like I was, I was, it's, it's, it's rare that I get a Han and Chewie book that I don't enjoy. And, um, Death Troopers doesn't count, but it w- it was just like I was excited because it was like ah Timothy's not doing a Han Solo book that sounds fun. Han actually takes a back seat a little bit in this like he he's it doesn't do Han very it doesn't do the character a lot of good making him the straight man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's the straight man in this book. Like he has to be the he has to be the center that keeps everything together. He's the Danny Ocean. And Han works best when he's kind of at odds with other people, not trying to rally people, I guess. Um, and so like it, it didn't, it didn't work for his personality got lost in the shuffle for the book. Just as a Han, Han Solo fan, I felt like his personality got lost. Do you think it would have worked better if they flipped Han and Lando? Because Lando is more of like a people person leader type. Right. And have Han is like the front kind of con man. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, except that that's not really his strong point, though. Like his strong suit isn't being the face man. No, no. The the thing is, like doing a a crime like this wasn't his strong suit either until this book. Yeah. You know, I mean, this whole. Well, from the end of the book, I can't even tell if it's a strong suit afterwards (laughs) because I don't understand the ending. I don't understand if they did it, if they, if they did, won or not. Did they win? Did they win? I mean, they all lived, but did they win? Kind of. Kind of. They, they, they did the thing. They I did it. They, I, they I did think a they, bunch of things. I but, think they did the thing. Yeah. But it's not, it's not quite clear. I agree. With, like I said, I think the whole thing is foggy. I, I finished this book and went, Oh shit. Why is this got to be the book that we're reading when we finally post my interview with Timothy Zahn from Dragon Con? Because I feel bad for not loving this book. It's okay. He's not going to listen. Yeah, he won't. But I, I still feel bad. I was like, oh, man, this book was super duper disappointing to me. Yeah. And I, I didn't go in with like high expectations. It was just, you know, I expected a good Star Wars book out of Timothy Zahn and this was not the book that I thought I was getting. It's kind of the book I thought I was getting, like, which is because I was surprised that why I hadn't that I hadn't read it because it was because it was a Han Solo book by Timothy Zahn. So I was surprised that I hadn't read it, but I but I think I hadn't heard good things about it, and I don't know. Maybe it's like how I'm allergic to shrimp, but like I never didn't know that till I was in my 30s because I never had it because I never w- went near it. Oh man, I love shrimp. <laughs> See, I, I, I never went, I never touched it. And so I didn't, and I found out in my thirties, I was allergic to it. My doctor even told me, he was like, your body was telling you not to touch it because your body knows you're allergic to it. <laughs> your it body was it. telling you to stay away from Star Wars scoundrels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, some, something. If I had taken this book on vacation and read it on the beach, I'd be perfectly happy. 
Like one where I can kind of have drinks all day and like, you know, kind of be foggy and not have to really worry about what's happening too much. Like, because you won't understand it anyway. (laughs) Like, see, that's the problem is there's so much to try to understand in the book. There are, there's a lot of words and there's a lot of things going on. I had the same experience, Beth, where um, my Kindle was telling me the percentage and I was at 50 percent and I was like, there's no way I'm only halfway through this book because like it's already the cons already happening. There's no way I'm only halfway through. What could they possibly do? <laughs> what could possibly go go past? It? And what? luckily it, it ended at like 64 percent. Yeah. So. And that was my thinking was dread. At that point, I was just like, oh, God, I don't want to read another two two or three hundred pages of this book. I can't. Yeah. Well, especially because, like I said, yeah, by that point, they're already doing the con. They're already kind of in it. You knew it couldn't be good if there were 200 more pages after the con. Like, oh, God, (laughs) what what the hell are they going to pull to try and make this more of a book? So you guys didn't read the short story? No, no. It's in the Kindle version. Oh, is it? Yeah. I didn't read it, but it's... No, it's, I was just done, and I clicked done. In the hardback version, there's just a page that says, hey, remember that line where Lando said this? You can read about it if you go buy the ebook. Winner, lose all. So, Beth, what are we talking about next time? Well, next time, we will be discussing The Force Unleashed novelization of the video game by Sean Williams. I have not read it before, although I've played the video game many, many times. I'm very excited to read this book and find out if it's as good as a video game or gives the video game some depth I did not know about before. I have read it, but I don't remember it at all. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember what it added to the game. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read it. I know Maybe I've read it. Maybe it'll make some of that story in the game make sense. Maybe. Maybe. I don't remember what I'm looking forward to is just how overpowered Starkiller is by the end. Like, how do you present that where it makes sense that he's not wrecking havoc on the galaxy? He's not throwing Death Stars at people and shit. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and we will talk to you all very soon. Boo, Boba Fett. Boo. <laughs> roger, roger.